We'll look forward to having a lot of these guys back at the end of this semester, but it sure is a blessing to have them at home. 2023 Deacon Board, if you men would start making your way up to the platform, I want to introduce to you our 2023 Deacon Board, and we are going to have a word of prayer for these men. I've asked the other pastoral staff to stay on the platform. We're going to stand beside these men, with these men, and we're going to pray and ask God to bless them and use them. And we're going to ask the Lord to help us to support and encourage them and to lift up their hands to do the work of the ministry this year. The 23 Deacon Board is Michael Brookshire, Kenny Burrell, Mike Burrow, Chuck Clute, Andy Curlis, Kim Darnell, Andy Efting, Steve Hudson, John Kokenzie, Josh Moore, Troy Thompson, Brantley Turner, and Daryl White. We're so thankful for these men. Let me encourage you to keep them in your prayers. Our first deacons meeting will be this Saturday after our men's breakfast. They'll be getting uh, their assignments for care groups and we'll be contacting you. Pray for these men uh, that the Lord would give them spiritual insight and wisdom in serving. There are a lot of different ways in which they serve. And uh, so please let us keep them in prayer. Let's dedicate our deacon board um, and this ministry to the Lord this year and pray for these men. Join me as we go before the throne of grace right now. Father, we are so blessed to have this many men and even more who meet the qualifications for deacon. We are a very blessed church because of that. We pray, Lord, that you would help these men to walk in godly integrity this year. Not just these are deacons, but all of us men who are a part of this local assembly. And to pray for these deacons that they would certainly take on the towel in the basin of the Lord Jesus Christ to serve as he served, to follow his example with love and compassion, with integrity, with truth, with fervency and zeal, with endurance. Give them discernment. Bless them, Lord, for the commitment. Reward them for their service. Bless their families. Protect them and use them in this year. Strengthen us, Father, as we lead spiritually in this church to fulfill the great commission of making and building disciples for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom. So we pray now a special blessing upon these men and dedicate them to your service this year. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, men. You may be seated. The rest of you may begin to turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to Acts chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses this morning. Matt, uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Before we get there, I want to talk to you this morning. We saw this in the scripture reading. We're going to talk about spiritual hypocrisy this morning. In Webster's Dictionary, it defines hypocrisy as a feigning to be what one is not or to believe what one does not. Behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. You know, because we all naturally want to be liked and respected by others, we are all susceptible to the temptation to be hypocritical on some level. Such as maybe laughing at a joke that we really don't understand. Or even embellishing a story of some personal accomplishment. In 1979, a lady by the name of Rose Ruiz ran, or was supposed to have run, the New York City Marathon. Except she cheated and took the subway for part of the race. 
She had such a great time that it qualified her for the Boston Marathon, which was run in April of 1980. So she was officially entered into the race, and she set a new world record time in that marathon, but she only ran the last half mile of 26.2 miles. She ran about 800 meters. Eight days later, it was discovered, and she was disqualified. More recently, back in 2007, Roberto Madrazo, a Mexican presidential candidate in 2006, had his results in the Berlin Marathon deleted after his timing chip revealed he had skipped two checkpoints on the course and had covered one nine-mile segment in 21 minutes. And, and Wikipedia then says uh, that's faster, far faster than the world record speed for such a distance. That's two minutes and 20 seconds per mile for nine miles. These cheaters were hypocrites, misrepresenting themselves and their achievements. Last Sunday, we looked in Hebrews chapter 12 at running the Christian life race or marathon. We must engage in sincere, authentic worship and Christian living. We must be sure we're not doing religious activities to get people to think well of us. We must faithfully run the course. Paul relates in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, literally one cast out or kicked out of the race, disqualified. In our text, we see two spiritual hypocrites and how God dealt with them. May the Holy Spirit warn us, convince the guilty to repent, and motivate us to stay on course in the Christian race. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want you to understand that to struggle with sin is not hypocrisy. All Christians struggle against sin. We're not plotting to sin. This was premeditated hypocrisy. We sometimes sin, but then we say no and we repent. We don't want to sin. We want to do what's right. And by God's grace, all of us are gaining victory. All of us have battles. We have struggles. But the idea is that it is a sincere, sincere struggle. That we are not playing the game of, oh no, I don't want the repercussions. I don't want the chastening of the Lord. So when I sin, I'm going to be quick to pray this prayer of repentance so that God kind of forgets about my sin and does not spiritually spank me and I don't have to suffer the consequences. And when I think is, he's not looking or noticing anymore, maybe I'll sneak back to that sin and I'll try to play the game. Hey, Paul warns us in Galatians 6, be not deceived, God is not mocked. You can't beat God's system. You can get out of a traffic ticket. You might be able to get by with cheating on your taxes once in a while. You might pull off a bluff and fool some people some of the time, but folks, you cannot fool God for one split nanosecond. Amen. But the struggle with sin does not mean that we're hypocrites. 
there's this philosophy in our day, especially among young people, that says, well, I just want to be sincere. I want to be real. And so they yield to their flesh, thinking that is being real. That's not what the Bible commands Christians to do. In Galatians chapter 5, we are commanded to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. We are to mortify and make dead the deeds of the flesh. That's not hypocrisy. That's spiritual discipline and warfare. And though we struggle against sin and we desire to do what's right, by the grace of God, he who knows our hearts knows what is spiritual hypocrisy and not. And that is the important thing we need to remember this morning is that God knows all spiritual hypocrisy. We saw in our last message by way of review, because it's been a few weeks because of Christmas and New Year's, that Barnabas came, he sold possessions. He, was, he, was, he had possessions on the island of Cyprus. He sold some of that property, if not all of it. And he laid the entire gift, the entire amount at the apostles' feet so they could distribute it to the needy that are in the church at Jerusalem. I believe Ananias and Sapphira wanted that same respect. They lusted after the respect that Barnabas was given by the church. And they wanted the image of great generosity without being remarkably generous. And they somehow implied that they gave the entire proceeds when they only gave a portion. The ancient Greek word for kept back is nophysimai. And it means to misappropriate. The same word was used of Achan's theft in the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Old Testament. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, fraud is what is implied in this text. These two were frauds. So look with me in verses 3 and 4 at God's omniscience. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine, in thine own power? Why, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart it's not light unto men but unto god notice here that peter directly refers to the holy spirit and identifies him as god you've not lied to men but you've lied to god well who did he say specifically he lied to you've lied to the holy spirit ananias the holy spirit is god and he's a person you don't lie to a force you lie to a person and so there is, even in this truth, some theological uh, truth that we need to make sure we understand, and that is that the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. And He is as much a distinct person as the Father and the Son. Continuing. God always knows our spiritual hypocrisy. They feigned, they faked, they acted like they were given the entire amount of the land. I think it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say that they said they were given the entire part, amount of, the, of it. It just said that they brought their gift and they laid it at the apostles' feet, but they acted and they implied as if they were given the entire amount of the proceeds of the sale of the land when they were keeping back a part of it. And as we see from verse 4, Peter said, Look, it was your land, it was your property when you sold it. If you only wanted to get part of the proceeds, or if you wanted to keep all of it, or give all of it, that's fine. It was yours. It remained your own. You could do with it whatever you wanted. But the problem was there was spiritual hypocrisy. 
And they were trying to impress men and maybe even impress God with their generosity by acting as if they were giving the entire amount. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, revealed by the Holy Spirit to him that Ananias had lied to the Holy Spirit. God always knows our spiritual hypocrisy. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents or intentions of the heart. But all things are naked and open, completely exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That is God himself. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10, The Lord answers, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. It's interesting here, F.F. Bruce made this conjecture that they may have vowed to give the entire amount but then changed their minds, thus lying to God. And I warn you from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that thou hast vowed. Better is it thou should not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. What spiritual decision or commitment have you made to the Lord, Christian? And you've reneged. The Spirit of God reveals that to you today. Confess it. Repent of it. And pay what you have vowed. God identifies spiritual hypocrisy as a satanic attack. Look, if you would, in verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Satan can influence believers through our sin nature, but he cannot make us sin. Ananias consented to the influence. Some of you are old enough to remember the popular saying, the devil made me do it. But the devil cannot make a Christian sin. We choose to sin. Ananias and Sapphira consented and were in cooperation. Literally, this is what the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying. They were in cooperation with the devil himself in their hypocrisy. And Satan uses pride, which was his downfall, to attack through hypocrisy. Peter freely acknowledged that the land and its value belonged to Ananias alone. He was completely free to do with it what he wanted. His crime was not in withholding the money, but in deceptively, deceptively implying that he gave it all. And now, let's third of all look at God's judgment on spiritual hypocrisy. Follow along as I read verses 5 to 10. And Ananias... Hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after that when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. 
And she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth and buried her by her husband. Some people have theorized that Ananias, upon the shock and humiliation of his sin being exposed, died of a heart attack. I think that's a bunch of baloney. Now, if we didn't have Sapphira in the story, maybe that would be tenable. But she died in the exact same way. And under Peter's prophecy. Now, I don't believe that Peter knew what was going to happen when Ananias, when, when the Holy Spirit prompted Peter to say, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You've not lied to men, but unto God. I don't believe that, An- that Peter was expecting Ananias to fall down dead immediately. But that was God's clear judgment on hypocrisy. And I want you to understand God's judgment was immediate. Peter didn't pronounce a sentence on Ananias or carry it out. God did it. And that's why I believe this is supernatural. And it was supernatural. Ananias and Sapphira died in the exact same way, three hours apart. But you know what's interesting? God gave Sapphira an opportunity to confess and repent. Now why? And I meditated about this, and this is what I believe is true. And this was a strong warning to me. I trust it will be to each of you men. Why did God give Sapphira that opportunity and not Ananias? I believe because Ananias was supposed to be the spiritual leader of his home. And he chose this. And Sapphira agreed. She had the opportunity to repent. She didn't have to go along with her husband. She still chose to lie to the Holy Spirit, to Peter, and to the church. I believe, men, that God's judgment on us will be even stricter than on our wives. Not that God was any less strict, by the way, ladies, on Sapphira than he was on Ananias. But he gave Sapphira that opportunity to repent. And then look with me in verse 11 at the impact on the church because of God's judgment. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And what comes to my mind is this. He, God, doeth all things well. Does God ever make a mistake? Does God ever overreact? Is God ever unjust? Was God absolutely, perfectly, and exactly right in what he did to Ananias and Sapphira? Absolutely. As one scholar said, the punishment was in reality mercy to vast numbers. It would cause strict self-examination, prayer, and dread of hypocrisy, covetousness, and vainglory. And it should still do so. It would prevent the increase of false professors. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 14 and verse 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And lest you think that maybe because we are in this age of grace, God will not do the same to us as he did to Ananias and Sapphira. Do not deceive yourself. They were in the age of grace too. And God made them 
an example and a warning to the early church. Paul addresses the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper, that many of them were eating and drinking unworthily in observing the Lord's Supper. And many of them were very ill as a direct judgment of God, and some of them God killed. Do not think that though our God is infinite in love, that he has lessened his justice, his holiness, and his severe hatred of sin. The lesson of Ananias and Sapphira is that we presume greatly on God when we assume that there is always time to repent, time to get right with God, time to get honest with Him. Any such time given by God is an undeserved gift that He owes no one. We should never assume it will always be there. You know, this is God's perfect timing. I didn't plan this out. And as we are moving through this book of Acts, I did not have this slated for today. But I cannot think of a more fitting message at the beginning of 2023 for us to seriously consider this morning and to respond to this. And so in just a moment, we are going to have our invitation time. We are going to have a come forward invitation. It is between you and the Lord how you respond. You're welcome to come and to kneel at the front and to pray and to make things right with the Lord. Let me also admonish you that there may be others that God's Holy Spirit says you've sent with them, against them, or in front of them. Or you've been living a hypocritical life in front of these certain people. And you not only need to make that right with the Lord, but you need to vow to Him. And don't be a fool and defer to pay it. But you need to make the commitment and follow through to make things right with others. For Jesus tells us that if you come to the altar to offer a gift, remember that your brother has ought against you. Leave the gift, go be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer the gift. You are not right with God if you're not right with others as well. Don't think you can just make things right with God and then not have to go back to those people and make things right as well. Remember that a humble and a contrite heart, God will not despise. So it may be that this morning you want to come and kneel and pray. There may be something that you need to say. The Spirit of God convicted me. I'm guilty. I want to make it right with him. It may be that you want to come and kneel and pray and say, Lord, please deliver me from that danger. I'm going to be vigilant against it. And whatever I'm committing to you, that whatever you reveal to me today or, or tomorrow or any time this month or this year, that is hypocritical in my life, there's any shred of spiritual hypocrisy, Lord, reveal it to me so that I can confess it and forsake it. Give me a broken heart and spirit over that sin. And Lord, may I make it right with you. No, none of us are perfect. But that's not an excuse for spiritual hypocrisy. Premeditated, planned, trying to impress men with your spirituality when that is not what is God knows to be true about you. And that's something that the Holy Spirit knows. Listen to him so that you can live a godly life of integrity. It all starts, though, with salvation. Do you know where you will spend eternity? If Ananias and Sapphira were truly born again, 
then they did not lose their salvation. They went to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus. Praise God for the extent of his mercy and grace. But what if you were to drop dead today suddenly? What if it were, in your case, a heart attack or an aneurysm or something else like that? Do you absolutely know for sure that your soul would be with Jesus Christ? Or have you been a spiritual hypocrite representing yourself to be a born-again believer when in reality you are not and you know it? Then I would encourage you, as the pastors will be here in the front, come to one of us and say, I want to know for sure I have eternal life. We'll be glad to have someone take you to the quiet privacy of another room, sit down with you and show you the way of salvation from the scriptures, and you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and be born again this very day. Shall we stand? I will lead us in prayer. Of our pastors come here to the front. Our musician will come to the piano and play our hymn of invitation. And whether you stand there and pray or come and kneel and pray is between you and the Lord. But whatever you do, do it in sincerity and in truth. They that worship him, God, Jesus said, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, all of us, because we have the desire to be liked and respected and appreciated, are in danger of spiritual hypocrisy. Lord, I pray that our testimony would be that we are not hypocritical and yet sometimes we are so concerned about our testimony that we purposefully misrepresent ourselves in our spiritual walk. Lord, instead, give us a humble, transparent spirit and help us to be such a loving, understanding, encouraging church that we would feel that freedom to share our struggles with other believers so that we can pray one for another, so that we can grow together, that we can hold each other accountable, that, oh, Lord, deliver us from any shred of spiritual hypocrisy. Would you right now, by your Holy Spirit, as you revealed it to the apostle Peter, what was going on in Ananias, Lord, would you just directly in our hearts, for we who are indwelt by your Holy Spirit, who are saved, speak to us through your word today and bring specifically to our minds how we are being spiritual hypocrites. And may we repent of it and give us grace, Lord, uh, to turn from it and turn to you and pursue the character of Christ. And to be willing and even to seek out accountability so that we can consistently begin to pursue godliness and true spirituality instead of hypocritical spirituality. May we take heed to the strong warning today. And Lord, one of the wonderful things as we see in the book of Acts is that even though you dealt so severely with this, these people in, in, in the church, it did not steal the joy and rejoicing of that church and what you were doing. And at the same time, it made them sober-minded. May we be filled with the joy and the Spirit of God. And yet may we also be filled with a sober-mindedness about our spiritual walk. If there's somebody here watching by way of live stream that has not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, would you convince of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Father, would you draw them to your Son? And Lord Jesus, would you graciously save them as they come to you and express their faith and trust in you and ask you to do what you promised? And we pray these things in your precious name. Our heads are bowed, the musicians are playing. Would you respond?